Welcome to the Nets Sticks and Chill Podcast. And here's your host, Gordon Goodenough and Andrew McDougall. Welcome uh, to Netsticks and Chill. We have uh, a bumper episode uh, this week, uh, Doogie, with uh, a special guest. How are you feeling mm. uh, about uh, our episode this week so far? Yeah, it's um, yeah, it's it's probably the biggest I think episode. Well, the episode I've been involved in. It's um, massive, absolutely massive. So if, uh, for those that that don't know, we've just finished uh, interviewing Kerry Goulet. Uh, the coach for the Melbourne Ice, and that was the uh, one of the best uh, conversations that we've had on this podcast. It's it's um, uh, he tells a great story, and uh, honestly, it's exciting. Um, he's he's got a three year contract here in Australia. He's um, it's going to be exciting to see the impact that he has on the sport. We could have like a, there could be a part one, part two, part three, part four, part five with Kerry. Um, Kerry is here for three years, as you said, committed to Melbourne Ice, committed to the to the AIHL. Um, Kerry's going to be huge for the sport here. Um, it's really exciting, and he's he's got that infectious. When you talk to Kerry, it's his his excitement and stuff for the game and for what can the sport can be here. It's, it's infectious. Yeah, it's uh, you know in, in November last year the Melbourne Ice announced him as as their coach and and honestly it's. Um... It's not often that, that a coach announcement um, supersedes or overshadows player announcements, but um, I, I think that's definitely the case um, here. So, um, yeah, look look forward to, to that in, in the second part. But for our first part, uh, we'll do a recap. Apologies for missing last week due to um, unavoidable circumstances. Um, we just weren't able to get it recorded. Um but congratulations to the Adelaide Adrenaline for winning their first game uh, or games uh, since 2018. There's a brilliant uh, article on the Inner Sanctum website that you can check out uh, where um, we chatted, uh, one, one of our uh, writers chatted to uh, Adelaide Adrenaline captain Joey McDougall, a friend of the pod. So uh, be sure to check that out. Um, but uh, let's have a look at the scores for last weekend. And on the Friday night, the Battle of Sydney, the Sydney Bears came from behind in the third period uh, against the Sydney Ice Dogs um, and won 6-2. The Brisbane Lightning defeated the Adelaide Adrenaline at Boondall on Saturday, 8-3. Sydney Bears again came from behind to beat the Melbourne Ice with a strong third period, uh, 7-4. The CBR Brave edged out the Newcastle North Stars four to three, and uh, uh, and the goaltender won the Player of the Week uh, honors as well for his performance uh, in Perth uh, on the Saturday. Uh, Liam Hughes was huge for the Mustangs as they took away a two to one win against the Thunder. Uh, then on the Sunday, the Newcastle North Stars wearing their beautiful Indigenous jerseys. Uh, beat the Central Coast Rhinos 13-3. The Brisbane Lightning uh, swept the Adelaide Adrenaline with a 5-2 win. The uh, Melbourne Ice came into Sydney and defeated the Ice Dogs 5-3. The Melbourne Mustangs fell to the Perth Thunder 
a five to four in that final game of the weekend. Now there were five things that that you uh, liked about or, or picked out for the weekend in, in your weekly article, Juki. Would you like to take us through what some of those are? Yep. So just off the top, though, um, I was actually really, really um, wrapped for Alex Tetro um, picking up the the player of the week. Um, outstanding person, outstanding goaltender. Um, and I actually wrote an article with Alex um, after the Goodall Cup win last year. Just a fantastic person. So that was really, I was really pleased with, um, to see that. Um, yeah, the five things, uh, it's just a, a weekly article you can find on the Inner Sanctum. Just five observations that I, I see across the weekend's action. Um, the first one was a Friday night game. And I really love Friday nights. I think they they kickstart your weekend. And you see it in other sports where it's it's almost like a the Friday night's a showpiece for the for the weekend sport for that competition. Um and I I know it's in, it's it's near impossible unless you've got a derby or something like that um to have these games. But I'd love to see the AIHL have a have a more Friday nights or a weekly Friday night. It'd be so it'd be so cool. Um so that was one of the the five things. I don't know about you, Gordon, what you think of the Friday nights. Yeah, I, I love it. Uh, I, I think the 7.30 puck drop, you know, when you're used to at least uh, here in Sydney, you're used to, to kind of a 5 p.m. puck drop pretty regularly. In, in Melbourne, it's generally like 5 o'clock on the Saturday and then 2 p.m. on the Sunday, thereabouts. Um, so it, it's pretty rare that you get a night game. Um, and yeah, I, I love it. I think it's great. Um, you know, players, obviously, it's difficult because it's we're not a fully professional league. So players often have to work during the day and um, but I, th I think it's great. And um, if you can get to the rink, it's, uh, I mean, the, the derbies, having the derbies as the Friday night game, uh, whether it's in Melbourne or Sydney, it, it's such a great atmosphere. You get a packed house. Um, it's the, the crowd is electric and, and the, the players respond to that. I, I think it's brilliant. And the, one of the other um Parts of the piece was just Liam Hughes's form to start the season for the Mustangs. Uh, I've followed the Mustangs. Uh, I'm a Mustang supporter, but I've followed the Mustangs since their very first exhibition game before they even had a license to enter the AI. And Liam Hughes is is up there with probably the best goaltender I've seen at the Stangs. Um, just phenomenal start to the season. Um, had the Mustangs um, five wins undefeated to start the season. They lost on the Sunday against a good Perth team over there. Um, but I've, I've named it the, the Canadian brick wall. Um, Liam Hughes has just been outstanding. Yeah, no, goaltending can make such a difference. And, uh, you know, raised a few eyebrows, I think, when the, um, the the Mustangs used one of their import slots for a goaltender when they already have Sebastian Woodlands, uh, who's represented Australia uh, previously. But, um, you know, you... Uh, we, we saw it last year with injuries that happened to, to goaltenders. It can make such a big difference come finals uh, time. So, um, yeah, it's it's he's definitely a good add for the league. And I've got an article that's been published tonight on the Inner Sanctum. Sat down with Wahib Darge um, and had a chat um, just about him going over to the North Stars this season. So you can check that out on the Inner Sanctum. Um, but just looking at Newcastle... And now that they've got some players back uh, from international duty and some imports, I know they lost to the Brave 
on the Saturday and they picked up the big win against the Rhinos. But I think they're starting to, the wheel's starting to turn a little bit for Newcastle. And you can sort of see what we've seen last year and in previous years. I think they're starting to sort of kick into gear. Um, and talking to where they're going over to Perth and he thinks it's going to be a good thing to galvanize the group together because he hasn't actually trained with the group yet um, himself. Um, so getting over to WA, having that trip over there for the one game um, should do them good to get them galvanized together uh, moving forward. But I think Newcastle starting to improve and, and, and turn the corner. Yeah, they've, they've got some top quality imports with, um, you know, we saw how good Berno was last year, Daniel Berno and, and you know, Francis Trelay, and they've got Josh Atkins that they've added as well. Um, you know, goaltending Charlie Smart won the AIHL Player of the Week, um, you know, just uh, last week. Um, so they've, they've got a good core, um, you know, group of players. So definitely things, you know, with, with that win over the, the Sydney Bears, uh, things are kind of clicking. Uh, I know CBR Brave is still fielding an, an understrength side, but to go into into Canberra and, and to win at Phillips um, Swimming and Ice Skating Arena, um, it, it's a pretty it's a pretty big ask, and you know at any time. So congrats to to Newcastle. Um, and you're talking about Woodlands before, and I flicked over on the um, AIHL TV and was watching the Adelaide um, Adrenaline game against Brisbane, and we've we've seen him at under 20 level um, for the Australian national team, picking up the gold and was outstanding. But Matus Trinkar, even though they had the loss, you can see that you can see the quality in Matus, just some of the saves into positionings, um, just basically blanking the lightning at stages to keep Adelaide in the contest. And I, for me as a, as a hockey watcher, um, I might be a fan of a team, but I love watching, just watching hockey and I want to see the sport grow here to see young talent like this come into the competition and hold their own and not look out of place. Um, it's just really exciting. So I wanted to include Matus in the in the piece as well. Yeah, Adelaide's got a good uh, goaltending kind of duo with with um, Friedrich as well. So um, it good. Uh, it's nice to see good Aussie goaltenders um, in in the league uh, as as well. Yeah, good good pick up, uh, Doogie. Anything else from your from your five things? I've lost count. <laughs> no, the, the last one was just Brisbane. Um, they're just a scoring machine. Um, Harley Anderson, 22 points, 10 goals, 12 assists. Jordan McTaggart, 21 points, 15 goals, 6 assists. Um, Julian Fodor, 19 points, 7 goals, 12 assists. They just seems like they're scoring for fun. They've scored 58 goals across seven games played. Um, people look at the fixture and say, oh, okay, they've they've played against the Rhinos who are building and you, all that sort of stuff. But you can only play you can only play who you who you're playing, who you're facing. You can't pick and choose who you're facing. And they look good. Um and that it's not just the offense, they're getting it done on the other side of the puck as well. Um so yeah the Brisbane's looking good. So they made it into the piece as well. Yeah, I I think we mentioned in our group chat that um, you know, uh, yeah, Brisbane definitely. You, you can only do what the schedule gives you. They're yet to beat a team not named the Adelaide Adrenaline or the Central Coast Rhinos. So I think it's going to be um, an intriguing uh, matchup um, coming up uh, where where they uh, face the uh, the Melbourne Ice uh, this weekend. Um, uh, Brisbane make the trip down to Melbourne. Um, so that'll be that'll be one one to watch and. And Brisbane, of course, that's on the Sunday. On the, on the Saturday, the, the Lightning play the Mustangs, um, which will be 
a really good tester uh, for them. Melbourne, you know, one, one of the, that top crop in the league. So um, certainly uh, good good hockey to come. Um, the Sydney Bears re- retained or regained their uh, top spot in the in the conference uh, in and in the in the Hellier Conference and in the league uh, with a pair of wins. So congrats to uh, to them. Um, we'll see what what this weekend brings uh, with hockey, but we'll get to our predictions uh, a little bit later. But for now, make sure you check out that article that Doogie wrote. Check out the other article in the Adelaide Adrenaline's first win since 2018. Uh, there's an article that Ash, uh, that um, another one of the writers wrote about the um, Jordan McTaggart and, and the Brisbane Lightning's early season form as well. So get around the hockey content on the Inner Sanctum. But for now, um, please join us as we welcome our guest, Harry Boulay. And welcome back to Netsticks and Chill. We have our long-awaited guest, uh, Kerry Goulet, uh, with us uh, from the, the coach of the Melbourne Ice. Welcome, Kerry. Hey, thank you for uh, getting me on this great show. I haven't watched it officially. I've heard about it. So now that I'm on, I made the big time in Australia being on your show. It's crazy good. Yeah, no, definitely the big time with us. Uh, so, yeah, thank you for, for coming on. Um, we've, we've been wanting to have you on for a while. Um, back in November, when uh, Melbourne first announced that that they were signing you to a, a three-year contract, uh, we were pretty keen to get you on. So, so thanks for finally joining us um, here on the podcast. Thank you. Um, Sorry about your luck. I'll, I'll go to the elephant in the room. Sorry about your luck with your hat. Uh, uh, both of you guys. Uh, but uh, I'll tell you what, it's always great to talk hockey and, and ice hockey a good down here, especially with guys that are passionate about the game, like you are. And everybody that asked me, if you don't mind me saying this right off the bat, you're going to coach ice hockey in Melbourne, Australia? It's the first question I get. There's ice hockey? So to yeah, guys, find out like you that are so passionate, love it. No, it's, it, 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 is, it does um, perplex a lot of people sometimes. Uh, but, uh, yeah, we, we do. The, the good old cup, I believe, is the third – oldest yes. trophy in, in, in the in the sport. So um, uh, we're a hockey nation, as uh, Doogie has, has said uh, previously. Um, but but moving moving to, to yourself uh, and a bit of your resume, um, you you you're in the ball hockey hall of fame, I believe. Is is that correct? Yes, I am. Thank you for that. Uh, can I tell you a little story about it? Um, yeah. I played I played for Team Manitoba for eleven years. Uh, was leading Canada in scoring over those title times. Ball hockey was one of the best sports. It actually helped me become a better ice hockey player because in the summers, we would then go out after we finished the hockey season. Ball hockey is such great um, for your conditioning, right? Uh, With ice hockey, at least you can glide. With ball hockey, if you don't run or walk, you don't move. So we found it uh, really cool. So I got very lucky. I was captain of Team Manitoba for like eight years and played with some unbelievable players. And I really do attribute it. That sport allowed me to become better in ice hockey, just that eye-hand coordination and the ability to move on your feet. Um, But when I got the call, it's kind of a funny story. Who knew there was a ball hockey hall of fame? So I'll make it a a short version because I get the call, pick up the phone. I'm in Toronto at the time. I'm from Winnipeg. And is this Kerry Goulet? Yes. Uh, Kerry Goulet, uh, we are phoning you to inform you that you've just been elected 
or inducted into the Ball Hockey Hall of Fame. And I had the phone in my hand. I put my my wife, T, I don't know which one of my buddies is this, but I'm getting inducted in one guy's uh, Ball Hockey Hall of Fame. I don't know which garage it's in, but I know that I'm in the Hall of Fame. So the guy heard me say it. He said, no, no, this is legitimate. This is There is a real Ball Hockey Hall of Fame. I said, well, where is it? He said, well, actually, it is in my garage right now, but it will be a true story. It will be going into this building that's given us some space. So I said, wow. And a bunch of guys have already been inducted. I wasn't the first of it. And my line mate, Shane McKay, had already been inducted. So fine and dandy, they say, listen, it's going to happen in Montreal during the Canadian Ball Hockey Championships. And we had won gold. So, you know, I, I've been to one of these events thinking, wow, this is prestigious. And the guy, I said, well, what do you wear? And the guy says, you know, business cash. And I'm kind of a character. So I get the penguin suit, you know, the black suit and the bow tie and white shirt. And I tell my girlfriend, at the, she's my wife now, but my girlfriend at the time, my mother was still alive at the time, and she went to every ball hockey game. My mom was crazy. So we we they fly us to Montreal, and my mother and my girlfriend went out and bought these kind of cool gowns, you know, to look really sharp because I'm in a penguin suit. And we arrive, very well taken care of at the hotel. Then a limousine picks us up and drives us to the to a to a rink, which I thought was just a stopping point, and then we're gonna actually go to the function. So we get out, we walk into this area and it's kind of the green room. And they said, just wait here. We'll, we'll bring you out in a few minutes. I said, what do you mean bring me out? Well, this is where the function is. I said, it's a rink. I said, no, no, don't worry. And there's another guy sitting there with a tie, just regular outfit. They call him out. And then they said, this is uh, Mrs. Goulet, my mother and Tony, why don't you follow us? So they take them out and they're actually in the crowd now. And I haven't seen the crowd. I walk out. Everybody's in ball hockey gear. They're in sweatpants or <laughs> hockey jerseys. The tables are picnic tables with these plastic red and white tablecloths with plastic plates and, and, and cutlery. And we're drinking wine out of these uh, go cups. And here I am, the only guy in a freaking tuxedo. And my wife and my or my girlfriend, they're in ball, ball gowns. It was the most embarrassing greatest moment in my life no it's you know it, it's it's always embarrassing to be underdressed um so at least you didn't suffer that embarrassment i guess but uh True. yeah um no but uh and then you 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 played over in, in germany for quite some years and i believe you were called yes. the the german wayne gretzky mr ice hockey with an eis yeah. uh at, at the starters uh, take us through you know how you came to play in 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 germany yeah, it's, again, a long story, so I'll keep it as, as short as I can. And uh, how I started to get in ice hockey, obviously, I was from Winnipeg, Manitoba. Um, you know, our summers can be 40 above, but they can be 50 below. So this is extreme. And my mother was a speed skater. She was a short little girl, uh, pee and vinegar, like she was just Scottish. And she uh, had made the Canadian um, Olympic team to go on speed skating, but you had to pay for that. And my family at the time was poor. So she never got to, to experience it. But she would go on outdoor ponds and skate, you know, with those big, long blades. And you know how they glide? So I was three years old, and she finally said, it's time for, my nickname's Gooch, it's time for Gooch to learn how to skate. So she took me out as, I don't know, minus 35 or whatever. I had the toque on and the gloves. And you know those skates? You guys wouldn't know this, but 
They have skates with two blades on one skate. So they strapped them to my feet and she put a, uh, a scarf around her ankle, around her waist and off she went skating and I was just holding on and I had snot coming out of my nose, it was frozen. I, my eyes, you couldn't even see them because so much water and these icicles dangling from them. And we went around, it was a figure eight uh, outdoor pond in St. Patel. And we did it for about 20 minutes and all of a sudden I started crying because I was cold and she took me in the hut. There was a hut with oil burning and she took my these boot skates off and she's rubbing my feet and she put them back on and we went out again. And I absolutely fell in love with it. I just thought, this is the greatest thing I've ever, and I'm, I was only three, so I, I'm only believing that's what came. And I couldn't, they couldn't stop me. I was on the ice every single day. And so from that, I would, lived in a house, as I grew and I was playing, I was a very good skater because my mother had brought me through the figure, uh, through speed skating. And my house was uh, about a kilometer away from my school. So for years, I would walk to school with a stick and my, my, my uh, skates, and I would have to walk across six outdoor rinks to get to my school. So little as you would probably figure it out, I would not get to school because we'd all end up uh, being on this, um, on the, uh, on the ice playing for hours and hours and hours. Uh, and so it was just truly amazing that I fell in love with this game. And then as I was going to school, principals would have to come and grab me off the ice. Uh, my buddy had the keys to the outdoor lights. So middle of the night, we'd sneak out. And so that's how I honed my skills, actually. And as I grew, I was a very good skater, became a good hockey player, playing with a bunch of old guys. I had the dipsy doodle around uh, older guys. I became very good at the game. Please don't take it as arrogance, but I just became very good. And and uh, because I loved the game so much, I was on the ice seven days a week, two or three hours a day. It just became my life. And as it turns out, my skates became my passport to the world. As you know, I've traveled everywhere because of my skates. Um, and as I was getting into getting to be uh, able to apply for university, I wasn't the smartest uh, in the box. So uh, I actually passed grade 12 by passing grade six twice. Uh, getting through school was really difficult. I got through it, uh, but hockey really got me to be able to travel and become um, who I am today. So I'm, I'm truly blessed. Yeah, and I believe your uh, points record in, in Germany you, uh, was was something like, well, at, at, at the start, it was like 1,997 points in 505 games or thereabouts. And then you came back out of retirement and put up three three points in one game to reach 2,000. So almost four points uh, per game. Um, is, is there a particular memory that, that stands out from from your your time in Germany as, as a player? And of, of course, you, you coached as well, but we'll get to that. Yeah. But as a player... Yeah. Well, thank you for that. And it's a great question because you look back in your career being just turning 64. I look back and look at some of the memories and there are many, but two that really stand out is the night my jersey was retired with a guy named Mark McKay and Marvin Glazer in Timmendorf. I get goosebumps thinking about it. And my father had passed and my father was my one of my biggest fans. Uh, he never played sport, but uh, just my mom was more my dad than my mom, my, my dad. Uh, because he just, she just drove me to every outdoor practice at six in the morning. I didn't play indoors until I was 12. So she would take me everywhere. 
My dad worked shift work, so he couldn't do it. So that moment was both surreal and sad. I remember crying as my jersey was going up with my three buddy, two buddies. We had won a bunch of scoring championships. I, as a player coach, Mark McKay was probably the best player I'd ever played with. He just made everybody better. Marvin Glazer was a German-Canadian and was just one of those typical goal scorers. And that moment of seeing my mother uh, and my brother watching it, who didn't, my brother had never seen me play live in Germany. This is back in 2003. That was really a, a moment that, that I can look back and say everything I did uh, turned out the way I wanted it to. Even though I didn't make it to the National Hockey League, I had the opportunity to uh, obviously play at a very high level in Germany. Uh, the next one would be um, doing my Carries Kids, uh, which was a charity that, uh, that worked with Ronald McDonald's house and helped kids with cancer and helped kids on the street. And it was called Carries Kids After Me. And I got involved with Ronald McDonald's house and Hans Hanna, who was the gentleman that was building this uh, in Lübeck, uh, ended up uh, auction. My jersey was auctioned off. He he bought it, and it actually, when they built the Ronald McDonald's house, they placed my jersey in the building, uh, right at the front as you walked in. So that was probably a, a surreal moment. But there are two more, and I'll just finish it quickly. The one that you mentioned at 52, I was asked to go back by my very good friend Andy Marley who was actually my trainer at the time, like a, a coach. He was younger than I was. He would take care of my sticks and my skates when I was a pro player. And he ended up loving the game and became the play himself. So as I retired and went on, he started playing for our, our second team. And their second team was having a game against the low end team in, I think, the fourth division. And he knew I was missing uh, uh, my 2,000 points by three. He said, Gooch, I got this crazy idea. You get in shape. You got a month to get in shape. Um, you come over and you'll play on my line with another player. We're playing a really god-awful team. We're going to get you your three points. And so my brother and his son, who had never seen me play, came over and they were sitting behind the net. You know, my dad, my brother had a camera and all that stuff. And I come out and uh, Andy Marley uh, uh, and I played first period. You know, we were down 2-1, didn't look very good. And then all of a sudden, boom, we kicked it in. Uh, I passed it to him. He scored to make it, uh, you know, I, my first point of the three that I needed. Uh, and then I scored to make it uh, to make it uh, my second point. And they were leading us, I think it was about 4-3 with a couple of minutes to go. And they were on a very good team. And um, we had tied it up just on my next shift coming out. And uh, Andy Marley was in front of the net and I, I flipped the puck out and it got into the stick. He scored the game winning goal and that happened to be my third point. So I did get uh, 2000 points, real emotional at 52. That was fantastic. But the final one uh, is a moment that I don't think a lot of people can even imagine. At 59 years old, uh, my co-coach who was my, when I was a player coach, he was on the bench with me throughout my career. Um, he had taken over the Timmendorfer Strand team. And, and German ice hockey guys are very similar to soccer. You know, it's got the Aufstieg and uh, Aufstieg. So you, the, 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 the division one, if you end up in the bottom two, you play against the top two from division two. And out of that, the division two team can move up. So if you go broke, which our team did, you drop all the way to the fifth division. So his team in 19, when I was going back, 
was in the fifth division and um, they were playing a game that was important. And they're the, the Timmendorfer strand rink is right in the middle of a park downtown of this beautiful beach resort, 7,500 people in the winter, 150,000 in the summer. Um, just a great place to play ice hockey, but the rink was on property that was worth billions of dollars. So the city was thinking, get rid of the rink. And so there's, let's save the rink. And my co-coach thought, hang on, there's only one guy crazy enough to maybe help us. It's Gooch. Let me call him and see if he'll fly over at this old age and play. So they gave me two months to get in shape this time. I hadn't skated in probably, I don't know, five months. So my buddy owns a rink and it's a three-on-three -three rink. So you know how small the rink is. And Timmendorf's an Olympic size rink. So I'm out there skating every morning, no equipment, just in my gear, my, my skivvies. And there I am, you know, dipsy doodling, <laughs> trying to catch my breath. And I'm still a little bit overweight. I end up, we're playing on Friday. I fly out Tuesday. I arrive there on Wednesday. There's a luncheon with press and all that sort of stuff. And they happen to have a camera following me around everywhere I go. And so Thursday, we have a luncheon and uh, we're playing on Friday. So York, we, we do it. He says, after the luncheon, see you at practice. I said, what? I'll see you at practice. Hang on. Practice? Talk about practice. No, I, I didn't sign up for practice. I'm coming for a game. No, no, Gucci, you got to come for practice. You know, you got to meet the new guys and all that sort of stuff. So I tentatively agreed. And as I'm walking up to the rink, they, they had gone from 2,500 fans a year dropping to maybe five or 600 at the most at their games. And I'm walking up and the parking lot's full and there's this long lineup of people. It's a practice. So I'm thinking maybe it's public skating or something. And I start, hey, good, hey, good. So I, I do this, you know, because I don't want everybody to stop. So I sneak into the building. I get into the room, cameras everywhere. I'm thinking, oh my God, what have I done? I am going to embarrass these people and myself. So um, it was people coming to the practice. There were 800 people for the practice. So I'm in the room, room and I realized, God, I got to pull it, pull it together because all these guys are from 18 to 35 and I'm 59. I hadn't worn shoulder pads and probably since the last time I played. So what happened was, is I went out to practice, all these people chant my name and I'm thinking, oh my God, I, I got to try. Like I can't just float around. So I'm given everything. Thank God he put me on the second line, number one. There were four lines that I didn't go on the first line because it, you know, it would have, I would have not looked good. So I'm on the second line and I'm okay. And I'm dipsy dueling, thinking I'm 25. I get through the practice. It's good. Everybody's happy, fine and dandy. I go home to the hotel that night and my body freezes. I got lactic os. Honestly, I'm frozen in bed. I phoned my wife back in Canada. I said, Tony, why did you do, why did you convince me to do this stupidity? Come on, Gooch, nothing's a part. You can do it. People are, no, I can't move. Go in the shower, get the nozzle out and put hot water on. So there I am for three hours up until three o'clock in the morning with hot water trying to get my body. And when I played there in pro, we had a doctor, his name was Willie Rocker, beautiful man that we recently lost. And so he, he knew everything. He could take care of the gooch. So I go to his house in the morning and he looks at the body and he touches it and goes like this. And all of a sudden he says, I can't massage you, Carrie, because this lactic acid is going to take it over. So I said, okay, no problem. What do I do? So he said, pop these pills, 
put this oil on, take a shower every four hours. So I do it thinking, oh boy, I'm going to get caught for doping because it's probably some illicit drug he gave me. And to end the story, um, I came out and in there, they turn the lights out, they call every player out and all the players run out and they leave me for last. There's 2,500 people in the rink and I come out and I don't know if you know, if you've been on a rink, there's a little lip on the gate door. I freaking kick plated and down I slide out like I'm Superman. Like it was freaking, I got the video. One day I'll show you the video. It's just stupid. Everybody's thinking it was planned. It wasn't. I look around and warm up. The goalie's terrible. I'm thinking I'm going to light this kid up like a Christmas tree. All their kids, I probably fathered most of them. Like they're 18, 19 years old. It was a Russian team from Hamburg, which is about an hour away, EC Malat. And I got to tell you, the respect I got at that, those kids could have run the garbage out of me because it was all about me and which, you know, I'm, I, we're all got a little bit of ego in us. I was almost embarrassed because it was too much about me. And um, these guys could have made my night very miserable, but they paid so much respect to me. End of the day, I had two goals, six assists, uh, one minute to go. My coach says, Gooch, get out there. We're going to get you a hat trick. I skate over to the goalie who couldn't speak a word of English nor German. He was Russian. And I said, hey, I'm sorry. I'm going to try and score on you to get three. Yeah, 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 yeah. And 30 seconds left, backhand, top shelf, get my third goal. And you know how you skate back? We won 25 nothing. As you're skating back, their group all stood up. They, they've got their hands up, high-fiving me all the way down, sat at the bench and said, wow, that's a moment. So those are four stories that I, 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 I'm blessed. I'm truly blessed. That was that was one of the things that when we were looking at, at your history, Kerry, that we we're going to ask you about that eight-point game when you're 59, 60 years old. Because when we look at when you look at your stats and if Elite Prospects is correct, your 236 points makes McDavid look like an amateur, but in part of, part of your contract, did the Melbourne Ice say you're a break glass in case of emergency, you have to suit up? I don't know if you've seen this body or you saw me get hit by a puck. Thank God I got man boobs because it saved me from breaking some ribs. Uh, what a compliment. I, I listen, When you're a hockey player and you played as much games as I have and traveled the world, I, I inside I could play. Outside, there's no way this body... Uh, you know, it, it used to be a Greek god's body, you know, a fine fit. Now it's a Greek salad with feta cheese around the middle. So, no, I am not at any time coming back to play. These kids are far too young and far too talented. And and it would be, you know, an insult to the game. But more importantly, I think you mentioned the McDavid and my stats. And that we have to put it all in context and in, 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 in um, understanding the game. I, I played some games. That was the fourth division. I was a Canadian. It would be like uh, one of your AFL players coming over and playing AFL in Canada. It's just not the, the, the difference between the talents back in those days was like that. I'm not taking away that I wasn't a good player, but I didn't make the National Hockey League guys. So imagine if I was McDavid, you know, that'd be a thousand and twenty three goal uh, points. So, um, yeah, it it's remarkable. Yet uh, when you put it in the big picture, you have to keep the perspective in that um, that it was uh, third, fourth, third, and um, second division. Well, I think regardless of, of division that you played in, the you've you've always been in the top division with your off ice uh, 
causes and charities that you supported. You mentioned uh, Kerry's Kids. Um, you've been the global director of Stop Concussions, also co-chair of Shoot for a Cure. Um, I'm just going to read out this quote um, that was um, re regarded to a lesson learned by uh, a, a former uh, teammate, uh, Robert Villafare. Uh, uh, I'm sorry if I pronounced well, that Robert, incorrectly. Robert Villafare, a beautiful yeah. man. Um, where you said, it's not what you collect along your journey, championships, scoring races, trophies, money, cars, but what you give back that will be your legacy. Um, so can you take us through a little bit about, about that, what giving back means to you and, and also, uh, you know, any causes that, that you, that you would like to, um, make, make listeners of our podcast aware of as well? Um. Yeah, sorry about that. Um, Robert Velfour was a very, very special individual. Uh, he and I were teammates, um, and um, he helped me be the player I was. Back at, when I was 17, he was 19. Um, he had signed a contract in Nice, France, to play in, I think, the second division there. And um, he loved his summers with us. So that summer, uh, he, he was asked to stay over in Nice, France and, and work. And unfortunately... Uh, he made a decision not to do that. He came home saying that, hey, I'll do it next year. Let me go back. I want to celebrate with my my buddies, um, you know, my success in hockey. And he came back and all the boys had decided to go down uh, just across the border in, in the United States and have a weekend with with fun. And, you know, we we're going to a university city where, you know, there are a lot of girls and drinking and dancing. And I unfortunately couldn't go that weekend. And he decided to go with the buddies and they drank a little bit too much beer and he broke into a swimming pool at the Holiday Inn and decided he wanted to take a swim. And unfortunately, when he dove in the pool, he dove in the, the wrong end and he instantly broke his neck, becoming, becoming a quad, breaking his uh, first, second, third uh, vertebrae. And it left him uh, motionless for his life. And once I learned about it, I drove down to Grand Forks where he was and then I lived with him in the hospital day in, day out, going up in the quad floors and seeing people that obviously um, struggle every single day. They struggle to breathe, they struggle to live. Whereas we're struggling to figure out what golf course to go to or what restaurant to go and eat at. Uh, they're just struggling to breathe. And Robert really taught me the lesson. Every time I went and visited him, even when I played in Germany, I'd only get three or four visits. I'd fly home to Winnipeg when I was still living in Toronto. And he, he was such an inspiration. He was a guy that never complained, even though, you know, that, that changed his life and everybody around him. So it gave me this opportunity to realize we're in gladiator suits. People think we're tough, but it can change in an instant. So we have to prepare ourselves for these type of things. That's why I got heavily involved in concussions. And it was actually at his funeral. I was asked to do, I flew from Germany and I wrote a big speech and I, I was asked to do the eulogy and I had this big, long, emotional speech all written. And, you know, I've got the gift of the gab, but I was so nervous showing up to this thing. And I was going to see guys that I hadn't probably seen in 25 years and stood up there and looked around the room and saw guys that I hadn't seen and parents there. Cry. Like it was just one of those emotional moments. And I said at that moment, um, guys, you know, I've written this speech about Robert and I'm not going to use it because I think this is an important moment for us all to understand that Robert brought us here today for a reason. And the reason is exactly what you had said, 
that, um, you know, it's not what we collect along our journey, uh, all the trophies and accolades and all the money and all the fame that you get. It's what you give back that's truly your legacy. And I live now by those words. Uh, money you can print, you can go and get it printed. But what you can't do is you can't go out and help others that can't help themselves. So I made it at that moment at his funeral, I made it my job or my, it's not even a job, my mission to try and help. My mother was also Scottish, so she was very giving of her money. Um, and she always said to me, if you make 80, uh, a dollar, keep 20 cents to give to somebody that maybe can't uh, make it themselves. So uh, those were two very valuable lessons that have allowed me to do what I do. So this, this seems as good a, a time as any to hit our penalty kill for our listeners who aren't aware. The, the penalty kill is a series of rapid fire uh, questions to get to know our guests. Um, uh, Kerry, were you were you involved in the in the penalty kill often as a as a player? No, I was usually on the power play. I was I wasn't talented enough to play on the penalty kill. Yep, no, it's uh, so this will be a fun new experience for, for you potentially. Um, so I feel just... like I'm in the box now. Hang on, I'm in the box. <laughs> uh, as as I always say to our guests, there are no right answers. So um, yeah. So don't stress. Um, favorite karaoke song? Oh, uh, Whitney Houston. Uh, no, Tina Turner. Simply the best. Nice. I love the Aussie, uh, the Aussie flavor there. Favorite meal? Oh, maybe, Justin, maybe Justin Bieber too. Favorite? Favorite meal? Oh, lasagna. Uh, favorite travel destination? Beckway down in the uh, Grenadines. Uh, favorite book? The one I wrote called Concussed. I only wrote, read five books in my life, and most of them were comic books, so Concussed. Um, that's a good flex there, too, as as, as an author. Um, your favorite movie uh, or TV show? Oh, come on, guys. You know it's Slapshot. <laughs> your favorite Simpsons character? Uh, Bart. Uh, best drink you've played at? Oh my God! Outdoors this year, December the fifteenth, in Hanover, Germany, where they played in an outdoor stadium uh, that had thirty-seven thousand people. At sixty-three, I got the opportunity to play in an outdoor game with thirty-seven thousand people watching me. And right after that game, Patrick Klopper, our new import, played a point game: Hanover Scorpions against the Hanover Indians. Nothing like it. Nothing like it. Uh, the worst drink that you've ever played at? Oh, I, I hear it's Canberra, but I haven't been there yet. Um, I would say that it was a little <laughs> town called Braunschweig. It was in the middle of nowhere. It was an outdoor rink and had stands on one side. And all of a sudden, it was snowing, so we had to get the shovels out. There's a pro game. We're shoveling the snow uh, between the periods because the Zamboni didn't work. And all of a sudden, I was going on a breakaway or maybe a two-on-one, and the whole rink was shaking. I couldn't figure out the uh, the uh, bullet train. Uh, the line was right beside the rink. So this train at about 500 kilometers an hour, kilometers an hour drove right by us, and the whole building shakes. So I would say that, that that's got to be one of them, too. Yeah, that's, that's a compelling contender. Um... What's your favorite sport besides ice hockey and why? Well, ball hockey, of course, but I, I would say golf. I, I love golf. Uh, 
eye and coordination from from hockey uh, really translate to to ball to uh, golf, and so yeah, it's a good pastime. It's a sport. Hockey, ice hockey is a team sport. Uh, golf, you're really playing against yourself, uh, and yeah, so that's why I like it. And, and final question: I, I'm not sure if you're familiar with the um, the snack uh, shapes. Um, do you have a favorite flavor of shapes? Shapes or shapes? Yeah, shapes with a P. Yeah. Not sure what that means. Give me, okay. give me a example. So we have these snacks here in Australia. You find them in the in the biscuit or the chips aisle. They're called um. They're oh, called yeah. shapes. They're biscuits. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Vegemite. Vegemite. <laughs> I haven't had that one before. Hey, a couple of years ago, I went to the store. I've never had Vegemite. I just had it with uh, Gordon Ramsay. I don't know if he was in town and had this big event and everything had Vegemite on it. And I'd never eaten Vegemite because I hear how bad it is. And so uh, they had this event. And then a couple of years ago, I was in a store and I was looking. There was a chocolate bar with Vegemite. It was Cadbury. Awful. It's it's uh it's amazing how every every question that we ask you, there's like an element of your response that really wants me to go down that path as to why were you eating with Gordon Ramsay? But um the time will fail us if we do. Um but yeah, congratulations for surviving the penalty kill. Um, that was that's, Thank um you. yeah. Um so you are skilled enough to to participate on on in that aspect of special teams. Um uh, I, moving on to your coaching, and you you had a, an incredible winning record in in Germany. Um, how did you get into coaching? What was uh, had was it something that kind of you had always wanted wanted to to do? Never, I never thought I'd ever coach. I was in a little town called Timmendorf. Uh, sorry, Eschweiler. So when I got, I I won the Allen Cup. I don't know if you know that what it is, but the Allen Cup is a very prestigious co trophy in Canada back in the eighties. Uh, 90s. It was actually the trophy that the NHL played for back in the early late 1800s when Lord Stanley came and presented the NHL with the, the the Stanley Cup. So it then became a cup that that senior hockey teams went after. And I, I you know, my life has a lot of different stories that I, I can't. Uh, we wouldn't have enough time to tell you about it. But I owned a nightclub. And uh, it was the first dance club in Winnipeg called Fridays. And through that a couple of years that I owned it, true story, can't even make this stuff up. Um, we, I was playing senior hockey and playing for, uh, to win the Allen Cup. And a buddy, I sold my part out of the, the nightclub because, you know, it's a very difficult business to be in. And I was only 24 at the time and um, made a little bit of money. And a guy came into the bar one night and said, hey, who, who owns this? And I said, it's funny, I did own it. I just sold it. And he said, well, listen, would you think of coming to Thunder Bay and helping me build something similar? And I said, why not? I got nothing but time. So flew up to Thunder Bay. That's about an eight hour flight, uh, sorry, eight hour drive and ended up in his bar and we remodeled it, called it Club Soda. And it was one of the big dance clubs for years. And I played for the Thunder Bay Twins who had already won three Allen Cups. And I got lucky to be on this team and won an Allen Cup, their fourth in a row. And we partied at our, our nightclub, uh, Party Lake Rockstars, or Party Lake, it was 1999. And so it was phenomenal, just a great, great time. And uh, an agent from Holland was at the, the tournament and I had a very good uh, playoff. And he's called me up. And don't forget, we didn't have cell phones at the time or, or computers. 
and he called me up on on a phone and I had to, hey, it's Gooch. Hey, listen, this is uh, Luke Nielsen. I just saw you play in the Allen Cup. I'm here from uh, Amsterdam. I'm flying home tomorrow. Saw you play. I have a team for you to go and play in uh, in Europe. Would you be interested? And I was 27 at the time and had a fiance and um, thought, hey, my days are over. Why would 27? And he said, no, no, you got to think about it. It's in Fife, Scotland. So I thought about it. And the deal was a little bit of money, but you got to, to uh, golf once a week on the practice course and once a month on the main course of St. Andrews. And if you're a golfer, that is unbelievable. So I wanted it badly. So, and I'd get a little bit of money. So I came home and my girlfriend, uh, she was my fiance at the time, and her name Veronica. I said, Veronica, I've got an offer to go play ice hockey over in Europe. And she was a, a twin and only had her mother left and her, her, her sister. And she said, uh, really, you wanna go over to Europe? Yeah, what a great opportunity to travel and see the world. And she said, well, I don't know, I don't wanna do it. And I really loved her. So I made the very foolish choice at that moment to phone Luke up and say, hey, listen, Luke, I've thought it through. Uh, it's just bad timing for me, I can't do it. And Luke said, no worries, maybe something else. Three weeks later, Luke calls me up and says, all right, I've got the best offer for you. It's a little town called Eschweiler. It's on the border of Holland and, and Belgium. Um, they, they need a guy with your personality. And though you're a good player, you're just like a showman. You got to come. I said, well, thank you for that compliment. But uh, I don't think, just ask her. So I drive back to the same process. And I said, Veronica, this one's great. We're going to play in Germany. We're going to be able to travel Europe, go to the wine countries, you know, see Europe. I've never left uh, Canada other than the United States. And she hemmed and hawed. And then finally she made this statement. Uh, Carrie, it's time. You're 27. Your days of playing are over. We now need to think about family and your job. And, um, you know, uh, you're going to have to make a choice here. And, and I said, what's that choice? It's me or you go to Europe. And I said, if you don't mind, can you pack my ice hockey bag, put it in the trunk? Uh, I'll see you later. And I actually did that. It was actually almost that callous and cold. I left her back home, flew to Germany, and absolutely fell in love with it. It was the most incredible thing that ever happened to me. She came over for a few months. She absolutely hated it, went back home. And I loved her dearly, but thank you for allowing me to do what I did and not stop me because my life has been blessed because of it. So um, I then, Played in that town called Eschweiler. It was a dump of a rink. You walk down the steps. It wasn't quite as bad as all the other ones, but your dressing room was three dressing rooms. It was three little cubicles. And when the coach, the coach, the coach was uh, Ulrich Rudel. And Ulrich Rudel Sr. was Hitler's uh, top pilot in the Second uh, First World War. And that's who coached me. So I could just tell you, it was very regimental. And it was funny, he never spoke English to me and never let on he knew English. And my other import was from Poland named Joseph Chastik. He and I just hit it off. We were great on the ice together, but we couldn't speak the language. And every time I'd skate by, uh, Ulrich would be yelling and screaming because you know he thought I was a puck hog. And finally I'd just say, why don't you shut the F up, right? as I was skating by. And he said, blows the whistle, gets on his skates, comes out and says, Mr. Goulet, 
you ever swear at me again and I'm kicking you off this team. And I'm thinking, Ulrich, you not once spoke English to me. I didn't even know you knew the language. And then we became best buddies. And because of him, I really thought coaching would be fun because you could really be able to transform young men's lives. Uh, and so being 27, I, I, I started thinking about it a little bit. So I played in this team for two years. We broke all a bunch of records and silliness. And I got an offer out of the blue to Timmendorfer Strand, which I was talking about. And I met Jörg Dietrich, who was my co-coach at that time. He was, they were trying to lure me up there. It's a beach resort. Uh, here I am, my apartment's overlooking the Baltic Sea. They, you couldn't have asked for better. So I got the contract and I couldn't read English or German. And I'm reading through it and Jörg could speak. And I'd say, what does this mean? Blah, 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 blah. What does that mean? Blah, 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 blah. What's this mean? Trainer says, oh, they want you to be the player coach. I said, time out here. Player coach? I've never been a coach. No, they just think you could inspire people to play and 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 that. And, and so I, I, I said, I'm not sure I can do it. What does this mean? I looked and there was a number. And I said, what is that? It's your salary. I said, what? It's four times more than what I was making on the other team. And I said, okay, I'm a player coach. <laughs> so I signed this thing. And uh, unfortunately, I suffered my first concussion. I won't bore you with all those details because it take forever. One day we could do a separate show on it. I ended up uh, going through depression, suicidal thoughts, all that stuff. And I, I went through it that summer. After I'd signed the contract, I'd suffered a major concussion, went home to Canada and lived hell. It was absolute hell. I got through it. They sent me back home. So I was a player coach on a drug called Depresamine, which is a psychiatric drug. I don't remember the first month being there. And what's really ironic about that whole story is, and it's in my book, I'll send you the chapter. It's kind of cool to read because it really emphasizes what my life's been about, uh, never giving up. And so when I got over there, our team went two, I think two and 15. And then I was actually getting fired um, and I was gonna be sent home. And I went into the dressing room with these guys, Mark McKay and, and Marvin Glazer. And I said, hey guys, you know, we're not doing very well. Uh, you know, maybe it's because I can't speak the language properly and maybe it's my first time being a coach. And maybe it's because I've been through these really rough times over the summer. Um, but the next guy that's coming in could be an asshole, pardon my French, I shouldn't swear. He could be a jerk or, you know, I'm sorry, I, I let you guys all down. So the management then came and said, listen, we can't find another replacement for you as a player or as a coach right now. Can you stay on for one more week? And that weekend, we were going up against the best team in the league. We were last place, of course. And the fans were actually betting against us that we were going to lose by 20. The sponsors were against us. And we went to a town called Nordhorn, about 5,000 people. And they had literally had signs, Goulet Raus. And they're saying, Goulet gate to house, Goulet go home, Goulet's fired, all that stuff, you know. And so we showed up with a very small team. Uh, my dad... The, the trainer had quit um, and my dad was at there at the time. So he was the coach or the trainer. He'd open the gate. So it was one of those moments where uh, in that game, we went up one nothing, went up 2 nothing, We're up 3 nothing. Mark had scored a couple. I had scored a couple. We're up 4 nothing. Going into the third period, we're up 4-1. They make it 4-2. They make it 4-3. And just at the last couple of minutes, um, they had pulled their goalie. There was a face-off. It came back to me. And I shot it to the empty net and it was going straight in and hit something and hit the goalpost. They came back down 
And our goaltender did that big knob, you know, when they put the whole roll of tape at the end of it. Seconds to go, slap shot going in the net. He puts up his stick and the puck hit that big, huge roll of tape and stayed out. We won 4-3 and we went uh, 14 in a row after that. We didn't lose a game and it actually saved my job. So last weekend we went to Sydney. We were three, one and three. And had we lost both games, we would have been one and five. Uh, I could have been living the same thing, but we ended up beating the Ice Dogs. I'm two and four, and it saved my my job for another couple of weeks. So uh, I'm excited about that. So that's how it all came about. That's that's um, probably a good segue, I suppose, into the how you arrived here in Australia. Because um, when we talk to people, they don't necessarily think of Australia as a as a place that you're going to go play ice hockey or coach ice hockey. Um, how did you arrive here, and how did the whole situation with the Melbourne Ice um, come about? Yeah, very good question. And, and a lot of people may or may not know that I run the Ice Hockey Classic. That's at Canada versus U.S. And uh, we started back in 2010 in uh, New Zealand, uh, playing games in 2011 at Christchurch, selling it out. Uh, then realizing that there was an appetite. Uh, Aussies love uh, contact sport. They love the speed, the, the score, the skill, the sweat, the blood, just like AFL, rugby. So we knew there was something there, and, and we knew that the AHL had, was around, and the New Zealand Ice Hockey Federation has its league. But I knew there was an opportunity for us to bring uh, former NHLers and some NHLers and, and some AHL and East Coast League guys and build this Canada-US. And as you know, Canada-US, we fight at chess, for God's sakes. But we're doing the event for stop concussions. So a lot of people thought this would be, you know, a bunch of fighting and, you know, the, the old slap shot movie. But it was never designed to that. It was designed to make people aware that concussions were an issue and that we need to really start looking at ourselves. And ice hockey was just a vehicle to get some people in a building and be able to do it. But it grew bigger than that. You know, in kudos, we brought Wayne Gretzky out. I was uh, one of the, the key people that, that had Wayne Gretzky, arguably the greatest player of all times, come here and be an ambassador in 2015, sold out arena, 20,000 people. I sold out the Rod Lave Arena with this event um, three times, and now we know the NHL is coming. We kind of helped pave the way for them to understand there's a market and that they would pay the kind of money. I had Brent Burns here. You guys all know him. When you look at the NHL guys I had come through over the nine years, pretty impressive list. So as I was doing this, I was getting to know everybody in the ice hockey world, Ice Hockey Australia, um, and it was uh, Clive Conley and uh, Andy McDowell that, that really supported me through the time and helped make me do it. Another, another guy named Stephen Kilgareth and Billy Viss believed in it. And there were a couple of people who just thought it was a gimmick. I would just come here, make a bunch of money and leave. Once I got here, I really wanted to make a difference. My legacy, as we talked about, was really making a difference. This was prior, um, you know, Nathan Walker getting into the NHL. So I was thinking that we could get this pathway of building the sport uh, and, and getting everybody to buy in. And, and it was, a, there's a, as you know, in hockey, there's a lot of politics. It never quite came to be that. And then in 2018, we, we, we had had an event that was supposed to happen in Wellington, and uh, I had bought the rinks, so I owned all the rinks that would be transported and put in these different facilities. And unfortunately, the, the boat got lost, and it, it was a hell of a story. And, and um, again, it's, it's a movie. It's actually a movie 
Um, Danny DeVito will probably play me in the movie, but it was an absolute nightmare. We lost the rink. Uh, we had to cancel the game, and it just cost everybody a fortune, including my wife and I. And the next year, we decided that we were going to come back to Australia, and we tried to do an event at the ICC up on the third floor of a convention center. Hello, who convinced me to do that stupidity? And little did we know that we had a leak, and the water leaked out, and it went downwards. It didn't go sideways. They had cracks in the floor, and third floor, second floor, third floor, and we flooded their basement. And it happened to be the general manager who was on a vacation at the time. He left his cabrio, his convertible, and we washed his roof with a lot of water. Huge issue, big problem. I should have gone home and said, that's it. I lost enough money trying to make this all happen. I had a lot of naysayers. But along the way, I met a bunch of good people. Peter Hawthorne from the Melbourne Ice, John Bellick from the Mustangs, uh, Stan Scott, a wonderful man in, in, uh, in Perth, uh, Gary Dory. Uh, there were just great people that were trying to make ice hockey work here. And it's not an easy project, guys, you know. It's not like you have a soccer field and people just put a pair of cleats on and out you go. You need facilities. The infrastructure for ice hockey is not yet where it needs to be to make it work. And so when uh, this all happened, I was kind of down on myself and I was actually leaving. We were going to do the ice hockey classic again, but COVID had entered in and I lost everything. Like we, our charity still alive, but you know, all of our reserve funds were eaten up through, through COVID. My little sports marketing company, you know, decimated with, you know, we couldn't do events. So, and I've got containers. I got some in Adelaide. I got some in Wellington that have got these rinks that I'm paying monthly. Um, and so I was always just flying in for the event, doing four weeks, flying back home, kind of absentee owner. And when I got the phone call from Peter after the Melbourne Ice, and, and you would know that, Doogie, that, you know, they were running into trouble last year. Team was awful. A lot of, lot of dissension. Um, he wanted to make a direction change. He wanted to bring a North American coach. So he had called me um, first of December and said, uh, maybe it was the middle of November, Hey, Gooch, listen, we're looking for a coach. Um, could you go through your Rolodex and see if you could get me a, a North American coach? Because we want to do a, sh a shift because we've been using Swedish and a lot of European. And I um, said, sure, I, I, you know, I'll do that. So I went through my Rolodex and thought of guys that would be perfect. And I gave them three names and they negotiated back and forth. And as you know, there's not a lot of money in the sport. So it has to be somebody that's got a little bit of money or crazy or doesn't have a job. And I was all three of those. And so as it turned out, after everybody had decided it didn't work, we had one guy from Thunder Bay, my very good buddy, Malcolm Sutherland, very close to signing, but he had a very good job and he always wanted to coach a professional team. And um, as it turned out, he would have had to take a sabbatical uh, from his job, a very well-paying job. And if for some reason it fell apart, um, he would have to come home and he wouldn't get his job back right away and he would have lost a lot of money. So his wife basically talked him out of it. And then one day Peter called me just before I was flying off to Germany for that outdoor game. He said, hey, Gooch, what about you? And I said, what do you mean? What about me? What about you doing it? Do what? Why don't you be the coach? I said, Pete, come on, buddy. 63, fat, gray and old, no teeth. I'm not, I got my charities. I'm digging myself underneath this COVID situation. He said, no, no, no. Before you say no, here's what the idea is. And so he he was ready. He knew he could hit all the buttons. 
And so uh, they've got a thousand square foot uh, great store in Melbourne. I don't know if you've been to there in Docklands. They sell the merchandise. They give me a little section there. We're building a Gooch Live studio with the hockey news. So they pushed all the right buttons and they knew that my wife would do it in a heartbeat. So they said, before you say no, think about all that. We'll pay you a little bit of money. Plus you can be here <coughs> and sell your ice hockey classic and you'll help us sell the Melbourne ice and sell ice hockey. And I thought about that and I said, you know what? That's gonna be an opportunity for me to live out my legacy. I can actually make a difference. I just don't paint, you know, uh, re-coat of paint, build a new wall. And so I thought about it, went to my wife, said, hey T, what do you think? They're asking me to be the coach of Melbourne Ice. She said, go look in the trunk of the car. So what are you talking about? Go look in the trunk of the car. So why would I go look in the trunk of the car? Because my bags are already packed, we're going. Um, so they had already done the job on her. So it was an easy say yes. Um, so I went back, I've been coaching, uh, I've been involved with coaching. I wasn't actually a head coach anywhere, but I do a lot of work with youth and with juniors, Jimmy Thompson from the Aurora Taggers, Jeff uh, uh, Armorall, who owns Paramount Ice Sports, which has eight rinks. So I've always been around the younger generation. You know, everything's done by this now. So I, I learned really quickly how to deal with players. And they needed somebody that could not only be a, a coach, more of a motivational coach. I'm not really the best tactician with the X and O's, but I know the game well enough that I could refresh. And I took a bunch of really quick crash courses to get myself up and talk to a bunch of NHL coaches. Keith Primo from the Philadelphia Flyers helped me tremendously over a very short period of time. But they also needed somebody that had a little bit of uh, opportunity to talk with the press, talk to the fans, work with, with the sponsors. And that's where, I, if I'm good at anything, I'm more good at that. And I also know how to put players in a, in a place of success and not put them in places of failure. And so it's taken a little bit of time for me to understand the landscape, but I'm really close to understanding it. I think our team at two and four now is really in a good position with our imports coming in. Me now understanding the game with the great support of all the people around me in Melbourne. Um, it, it, it was a natural progression at 64. I've got three years to do this. I can do the Ice Hockey Classic next year. Uh, this is the official, you guys are the first to know about it. Uh, in July, I'll be bringing an Indigenous team over from Calling Lake to play against an Indigenous team, the first of its kind in Adelaide called the Garner Boomerangs, who in January 2020, I had brought over and gave them the experience of a lifetime to see the cultural exchange of the plight that the Indigenous has had. And so now it's going to be a tour of hope. And this team is coming out of Canada and will travel, will be in Canberra, will be in Sydney, will be in Melbourne and also in Adelaide. And it'll help uh, grow the sport, but also give those young boys and girls uh, that are Indigenous or of another ethnicity or uh, another gender type, it'll give them an opportunity to know that the world is open. They, they just don't need to be in the mob or be in a reserve, that they have an opportunity to travel the world just like I have. And it's going to be because of those skates and while they're over here, it'll be a cultural experience. I'll be their coach and uh, we'll just have an incredible time. We'll have indigenous jerseys from both countries. And it'll be one of those opportunities for all of us, not only to celebrate our great game, but also give back to, uh, to, uh, to our, Indigenous on both sides of the world, 
uh, an opportunity to let these people, uh, let their their youth know that there's more than just um, drugs and alcohol and suicide, that there are bigger and better opportunities for them. And that sharing of that cultural experience will mean so much. So that's one of the major reasons I chose to be not only the coach of the Melbourne Ice, I could do so much more. I could impact so much more. And of course, I knew the NHL was already coming and I'd have a little bit of a role. And the boom that's going to come from that is going to be massive. And I can be a part of it living history here in Australia. So that's it in a nutshell. Um, just one quick one um, for you. I, I did an article and I'd spoke with Peter last year before the 2022 season. He had a 10-year plan what they had a 10-year plan for the Melbourne Ice because the Melbourne Ice is a um, a big club in the AIHL, um, four-time good old cup and three-peats and things like that. Did you know about the club's history and things like that before you took this on um, oh. and, and the play, and the players that come through the doors? And and um, did you know about the plan that they had for that 10 years to rebuild the club? Well, that that's one of the things that Peter had shared with me. Of course, I knew. I know Jaffa very well. Paul Watson. Don't forget, I played for the Melbourne Marauders in a bunch of tour tournaments all across uh, uh, New Zealand, Australia. So Scotty Davidson. So I knew the history of the sport. I knew the history of the AIHL. I knew the Jaffa, who was the coach of that three-peat. I knew Doug, Ju Doug Wilson Jr. very well, who had played for the ice. So I'd already had a really good history with the knowledge base of the Melbourne ice. Peter talked about his goals and dreams. Um, it didn't come without me needing some autonomy that I could uh, be able to do the things that I needed to do. Uh, we haven't made any changes uh, at the Melbourne Ice. I came here. Uh, he gave me the, the, the canvas to paint on. And so now I'm just starting to paint the picture. And it's not just me. It's a, it's a complete group uh, along the way, some of those people that are in the group may have to leave or may choose to leave, may not see the vision that Peter has that I've bought into and that he's allowed me to kind of give a little bit of my expertise. Um, he's very well, well versed in hockey, ice hockey, but he also knows with my experience around the world and doing what I've done as a player, a coach, a general manager, uh, winning trophies and all the things, all those accolades we talked about. That's, it's not the trophies and all that stuff that may, it's the information and the stuff that comes from all that. How do you build a winner? How do you change a culture? Um, that's easy to say, but I've lived it. So it, it takes time. It's not a light switch. You know, it's a three year plan for me. Yeah, I may be hosting the, uh, the I didn't come here not to host the good old cup this year. I, and I'm not arrogant. Every player on my team, I didn't say to them, guys, this year, we're just going to make the playoffs. Sure, we have to be realistic. But as we're seeing what's going on with the Florida Panthers right now, there's always a chance. As soon as you put your skates on, you go up and play. There's a chance. So there's a chance I'm going to be drinking out of the good old cup with you guys at center ice. Or I may not make the playoffs, but I'm not going to quit. And I think after hearing the plan that Peter had, after the history that the Melbourne Ice has been shaky, there's been some, as you know, some rough times, a lot of trials and tribulations, but we can't look in the rearview mirror. We have to look forward. And that's what my, my role is. So as of today, my being here this long, being two and four, I've got enough knowledge behind me with my imports coming to start making some really 
really important decisions. And I would say that, again, not being arrogant, um, I think a lot of people sometimes hear people talk about success. They think, ah, he's, he's, you know, he's egotistical. Wayne Gretzky, one of the greatest players of all time, said, if I didn't have a little bit of ego, I would have never been Wayne Gretzky. I want that puck with three seconds to go on my stick to score the winning goal in overtime. That's me. I want that. I want that pressure. If you don't have that, you can't do it. And so I think it's really important to understand that when the plan was given to me, obviously along the way, there were a lot of pieces that fell in place. Me being here before, I don't think I would have ever done this had I not been here and understand how great Melbourne is, how great Sydney, all the cities that I visited, the passion from the fans, uh, the passion from the people that play this sport. Though it's a, a small sport, it's, it's, it's got a cult. And I truly believe I can help make a difference and grow the game in a short period of time and pass the baton, hopefully, on to somebody that I inspire to go on and make this game the game it should be and that it becomes a pro league and players are not paying for parking. They're actually getting paid to play. And, and so that was my overall vision when I left the phone call with Pete after my wife giving me the chick that I could come. Uh, I'm fully integrated. I'm fully do I'm dove. I dove in. This time, thank God, in the right end of the pool, and I'm here to stay. And I'm, I'm, I'm encouraged. I'm driven to make the Melbourne Ice back to the iconic team it was. I almost feel a little bit like the Toronto Maple Leafs at this time. I feel your guys' pain that they have uh, struggled and they're struggling right now. But if you do and put together the right building blocks and have the right people around, like a Jamie Burke, uh, like a Liam Webster. What great foundation to start from. And then going to our goaltending with MJ and, and the new one, uh, Lefkovic, and all the great players with Mark Ruin, our captain, and, and all the youth and, 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 and everybody. There's a buzz at the Melbourne Ice. Even when we were one and three, nobody was scared. Nobody was concerned. I wasn't. I knew that you don't win the championship now. You could be leading it. Lead it all you want, guys. Because you know what? We're coming right behind you. So you better be ready. And since we're very, very unfortunately running out of time, we'll go super quick with the question I had. Um, yeah, sorry about that. So no, no, that's all good. Um, so I'm a Vegas Golden Knights fan, and I believe you have a friend. Um, so give us as quick an answer as you can. Um, yeah. Give us a good. Uh, well, what's the first thing that comes to mind when you hear the name Darren Millard? And have you got a quick story you can give me? Darren Millard's from Winnipeg, great goaltender, love him dearly. But what's even more crazy is on the other side with the Edmonton. Oilers is Gene Principe, who's a really good friend of mine. I know it sounds crazy. I'm always saying good friends. But real quickly, they both are fantastic. They're both from Winnipeg. And they're both uh, the the voices for each team. And they're playing against each other in these playoffs. Darren Millard is a classic, a legend. And I'll tell you what, nobody beats Gene Principe with that hair and his voice. Two legends of the game. So thank you. Uh, brought a little piece of home. Love them both. Uh, well, thank thanks, you. Thanks for coming on the podcast, and we'll have to have you back on again. Welcome back, and what a chat we had with Kerry Goulet. Thank you for listening. But now, uh, do you some big import news? And sticking with the Melbourne Ice uh, for a little bit, they have a new import uh, that's um, just arrived, that's just been announced today. Tell us a little bit about that. 29 year old forward uh, Patrick Klopper. I'm, I'm guessing that's how it's pronounced. Um, apologies if it's not. Looks like a really, really good addition. Um, talking to Kerry as well, you just heard there on, on in the interview, um, 
should be a really, really good addition to the league. Quality player, just finished playing over third division Germany, which is a, a really high standard if you compare it to what we have here. Um, so it's really, really exciting. And it's it's probably going to be a boost that the Mustangs probably need because the Mustangs have got, not the Mustangs, the Ice, sorry, they've got some really good components um, to their team. Um, like I, I like Sam Hoddick, I like Lingdale, all those sort of guys. And you've got Jamie Burke and Webster. Um, and you throw in imports like this, um, it's really going to give them a boost going forward. Yeah, and, and some more uh, imports uh, to come uh, too. Um, so we look forward to that. But um, news out of Perth is there's uh, a couple of, of their imports who've had early season success uh, have um, departed, according to the Perth Thunder's Facebook page. Tristan Colte Casanave and Anthony Gagnon, they have both left the league and are returning home. Um, for the, the goaltender, Tristan, he, he had the league's top save percentage um, early on. So it's a big blow for, for Perth. Take us, take us through what this news means for the Thunder. Um, it's massive, really. Um, they've, they've both been um, terrific since um, coming into the league. Anthony Gagnon's um, number five on the scoring leaders. So that sort of shows you the production uh, that, that Anthony's been putting out. Um, and, and Kota, as you said, has been, been phenomenal. Their goalie that played on Sunday... Uh, Reese Pelicone uh, performed really well. So that's sort of, I suppose, a, a blessing for the Thunder that they've got someone who can step in and, and do a job and get the win um, as he did on the Sunday against the Mustangs. Uh, but that, I believe from what the Perth have released it, they're going to be replacing the imports. Um, but it is a shame because um, they were lighting up the league and it, it looked like we had these two guys here for for the season and it was exciting to have have them here um, but unfortunately for whatever reason um, they've headed home which is a which is a shame for the league and, and for Perth yeah no I, I agree I, I think I mentioned earlier this week in the group chat this is before we, any of this news came out that in, in my mind in my opinion <laughs> um, there's kind of a, a top tier group of about five teams I think this year the league is really close um, that's with the you know obviously you, you've got to give the CBA brave credit for being the champions but uh, I, I feel you've got a, a top-tier group of the CBR Brave, Newcastle North Stars, Perth Thunder, the Melbourne Mustangs, and the Sydney Bears, where any of those teams can beat each other. And um, it doesn't take a lot for, for you know, that to happen, like Puck Luck or the, other, the opposition playing badly, you know, you getting calls for you. Like, I think they're pretty evenly matched, the, the top five. And so we'll see, uh, hopefully Perth Thunder are able to replace... Uh, these these imports, um, you know, with uh, kind of you know equitable talent or e equal talent, that would be that would be great because they are genuinely. Um, uh, I think there was an article that came out uh, a, a few weeks ago that the Perth Thunder saw themselves as contenders. You know, I, I guess that's why you play you 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 want to you want to win, but they genuinely have uh, had a strong team and have have had a great start to the season. So, you know, hopefully they. Um, things can get some clarity there with their imports. Uh, any Anything else you wanted to mention before we hit our predictions and uh, people can laugh at us for how badly we, that we picked or that we didn't pick their team or that um, we're, just, we're just wrong? 
No, just on what you were saying about Perth, it's 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 totally true. Before this season, obviously with COVID and things like that, they haven't been in the competition. But prior to that, they were good all cup finalists, um, and they look like they've stepped in and haven't missed a beat. Um, if you if you watch them play, they just look really like a really really strong outfit. Um, so hopefully, they can replace them, and it doesn't sort of affect them too much. Yeah, I I, I think you know that. Um, the way that they played against the Mustangs was was sensational. It's really good hockey to watch as a neutral. Um, so you know, um, I, I think I think having having quality is is a good thing for the league. So let's hope they can can you know um, replenish their import coffers as it were. Um, but now let's let's go to a a quick um, predictions for the games next weekend. Um, so I'm just going to fire. Um, the matches at you, you come back to me with a score. Uh, CBR Brave Central Coast Rhinos at Erina. Um, Brave will win uh, because it's a Saturday. They'll win 10 2. Brisbane Lightning at the Melbourne Mustangs. Uh, Mustangs will win 4 2. Ice Dogs uh, at Adrenaline. Ice Dogs to win 4 3. North Stars at Thunder. I'm going North Stars to win six to five. Then the Sunday games, which are Lightning at Melbourne Ice. I think Lightning will get up three to two. Rhinos at Bears. Bears to win seven three. Okay, I, I just realised I didn't do any of my predictions, so I'm going to pick the CBR Brave. Um, uh, 15 to 1 against uh, Central Coast Rhinos. M Mustangs 7 to 6 over the Brisbane Lightning. The Ice Dogs 6 to 1 over the Adelaide Adrenaline. The Perth Thunder 2 to 1 against the Newcastle North Stars. The Melbourne Ice 3 to 2 against the Brisbane Lightning. And the Sydney Bears, I don't know. Um, 7-0 over the Central Coast Rhinos. Um, so that's our tips. Um, sorry for making it difficult to for people to follow along. <laughs> um, but um, yeah, uh, make sure you uh, tweet uh, the Netsticks underscore chill um, Twitter account uh, or the Netsticks underscore chill Instagram account. With uh, We'll put out a reel uh, with our prediction video and let us know in the comments uh, whether we're right or whether we're we're wrong, and um, we we won't uh, mention it in future episodes when we're wrong. So uh, please do that. Anything else you want to mention before we sail off into the into the night, uh, Doogie? Uh, enjoy your hockey weekend. I'll be there on Saturday at the Brisbane Lightning Mustangs game. Um, so wherever wherever you're heading out to watch hockey um, at the rink near you, enjoy your hockey and have a good weekend. Yeah, no, thank you. Uh, I echo that. Um, thank you for listening. Uh, thank you for uh, subscribing to, to to our podcast. Uh, thank you for giving us um, uh, good ratings. Uh, it, it all helps. Um, and thank you for um, you know loving this beautiful sport that that, that we have here uh, in Australia in this country. So um, thank you and good night uh, for uh, Andrew uh, McDougall. Uh, I'm Gordon Goodenough, and we'll catch you next time. <laughs>